Talking industry, topical debate from the world of engineering, automation, and manufacturing. A DFA Manufacturing Media production. Brought to you by Drives and Controls, the number one engineering magazine for automation, power transmission, and motion control. Visit drivesandcontrols.com. Thank you. Um, I'm going to ask Jean-Paul for his, his views and then seamlessly move to Alejandra, who's going to hopefully answer that question and then transparently move into her own presentation. So right. Jean-Paul first. Yes, well, I, I would agree with, uh, with Luke. Um, it, it, it is a, a team trail, as I said, and, and you need to have uh, um, management. Uh, you need to have the board with you. You also need to have the people on the factory floor with you. Um, and, and that makes it very, very different. So um, the step-by-step the -step approach is, is the one that, uh, that, that works and you will convince with the small results you have and then build, build on that. Um, I, I see typically um, ma major showstoppers for many IIoT projects, like uh, uh, the first one is the return on investment. Um, the, the, uh, another one is, uh, um, I, I don't master that technology. Um, so I will need to hire people um, or, or to, to hire consultants to, to, to do the job for me, but how will I control? I'm losing control on my, on my factory, on my machine. On, so these are all showstoppers. And, and it's, um, um, if you want to venture in the project, um, you need to, um, you need to see your path. You need to see your, your, your benefit. Um, uh, you need to perceive the value and you need to trust uh, the, the, the project or the project team. Um, and, and I would say building, building trust with results um, on, on the smaller scale, maybe start with just a monitoring thing um, and, and, then, and then build on is, is probably the, the, the way to proceed because then you build value at every stage of your, of your project. Of course, if all that fits a broader view, that's better, but you don't necessarily need to tell the broader view uh, to to the whole audience. You 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 start with with steps, and and that will build your complete project. Mm -hmm. Okay, Alejandra, do you want to comment on on the the small steps versus the holistic debate, and then uh, you can present your um your presentation following that? Sure. Well, actually, I cannot agree more with all uh, what's been said. Uh, but I would like to add to that uh, my, my views and actually the, the approach that we tend to take uh, around that holistic view and is supporting manufacturers of any scale to understand that long-term vision, try to discover that, that long-term vision and that doesn't come with only bringing the seniors to that meeting. It comes with people, the key stakeholders from those processes people who actually understand which are the, the requirements, because at the end of the, day, of the day, what you need to get to is, is to have a value-driven strategy that then you can start eating or delivering in smaller chunks. Uh, and that's where the, the proof of value uh, starts being step-by-step. Step. One of the things that, um, that uh, I think I'm going to touch actually on some of my, uh, my, my things in my presentation as well, is around uh, trying to avoid, to all extent, repeating the same mistakes that we have been doing within the technology environment. 
So even though the recommendation is to start small and do that step-by-step, step, avoiding ending up with one, two, three different IoT systems so that at the end they won't get you to, to maximize the value that you can actually get from exploiting all of that data and interoperability that you can generate up from that. Um, so start small, but do plan for that with a proper technology roadmap that takes you through that transformation journey. <clears throat> so with that, I guess uh, I will just move smoothly into, into my topic, which uh, actually fits really nicely. So uh, I'm a systems engineer as a background. Uh, so that, that's what I did back in the times in, in university. So all of my description will have that, uh, that key um, systems component in the way that, that I describe and refer to things. Um, and uh, particularly in the MTC, we, we work with a breadth of technologies that at the, end, at the end of the day, what we look at is at developing systems from the manufacturing process perspective, but also from this uh, digital domain. So we cover a breadth of technologies from um, additive manufacturing, laser-based technologies, conventional machining, uh, but also going all the way up to automation, robotics, design for manufacturing or design for X in, in broader terms. Uh, I particularly work for the digital engineering group where we work uh, around modeling and simulation uh, to provide analysis, insights, optimization of product processes, uh, factory environments, cost modeling, things that are associated to, to the different um, uh, decision-making points when it comes to any stage of, of production environment. Um, we also have um, a breadth of capabilities around uh, manufacturing informatics, and that's where all of these topics uh, typically fall in. So we have a uh, connectivity, data science, advanced visualization, computer vision, and you mentioned within that scope, the things just carry on growing. Uh, and a big um, and strong activity actually around um, quality assurance and uh, methods and technologies around metrology, non-destructive testing. Uh, to support a breadth of requirements within the manufacturing industry. So we address challenges that span across um, a large spectrum of the manufacturing industry. So we, we were set in 2010 um, to, reach, to reach the value of death between academia and uh, the manufacturing industry. And we are part of the high value manufacturing catapult family. Uh, and uh, particularly in the MTC, we cover sectors that go from our historical um, airspace and defense domains all the way up to, as today uh, with uh, construction, infrastructure, space, and agriculture, and how we can bring manufacturing methods, manufacturing technologies, way of doing things in, in manufacturing and relevant to, uh, to the manufacturing processes into these other sectors. So my topic is, is, is today around hierarchical systems versus what is different in, in the IoT domain. So I want to start that by, frame, by framing it within the scope of networked industrial things or even hyper-connected manufacturing systems uh, and refer to these systems as the technological evolution from traditional hierarchical supervision and control of manufacturing processes of industry 2.0. And we touched on that uh, <clears throat> earlier in, in, in the previous talk uh, into a more multidimensional way of integrating things of the manufacturing value chain. Well, of course, within the pragmatic boundaries that we have been discussing about already. 
So um, by hierarchical systems, we are then referring to those different layers or we touch on field devices, PLCs, SCADAs, manufacturing execution systems, uh, all of that integrated very vertically uh, to operational networks alone. And that's safer, and uh, that's the most reliable way of doing things if you want to keep your production systems uh, alive. Uh, but straight to the point, what is wrong with those hierarchical systems then? So there's not really anything wrong. Uh, they are just limited. So just as in organizational hierarchies, supervisory and control systems are rigid and typically lack of agility and are limited to the capability and the capacity of each hierarchical level. That is safer again, and there is more control uh, from the top to the bottom, which is all what you, would, uh, you will decide to keep things going on in the production environment. Uh, but why is then that industry should bother with networking things in manufacturing in a different way? So IoT brings in particular two major technological offerings. On one side, data automation, which is the effective and efficient generation of relevant data. So call it uh, product data, process data, environmental data, and delivery to relevant data to stakeholders. So with those stakeholders being another piece of technology or an individual from and to anywhere in the process, in the process value chain or in the product life cycle. And the other particular offering is around data-driven intelligence, which is very different to what you can actually do in the traditional um, control systems. And that's delivered through advanced algorithms, applications, and digital systems that can, again, effectively and efficiently transform data into value, which is exploitable within the network of things. So I, I just want to kind of park in talking about example opportunities and then allow ourselves to, to have uh, more discussions around uh, the challenges that we have been discussing about and, and, and whether we see that still to be too idealistic or too ambitious or too futuristic and uh, where do we really stand today. So um, as to close out as a pitch, uh, an example opportunity is the typical predictive maintenance application that we have been seeing. Uh, already evolving in terms of the, the adoption journey of, of the technologies per se, uh, where predictive maintenance enabled by IoT, it hasn't been just about generating the data or being able to apply um, data science-based algorithms to interpret the data and make decisions, but it's also from where do you access that data and how do you use that data. But also we have started seeing uh, other business models emerging in the back of that, and one of those is around machine servitization. So those different ways of thinking about what is actually beyond generating the data and using the data in your business as usual activities, if you like, that's where, where the expansion of this hyper-connectivity uh, starts uh, uh, projecting a, a future scale or a future evolution in terms of what is the key differentiation with respect to doing that hierarchically or expanding that into a much more um, heterogeneous way, a much more multidimensional way. Thank you very much. That's really interesting, and you've 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 used some uh, some terms which I think are, are extremely interesting. I, I like the term data driven intelligence um, as, as an example, and data value, of course, which is very important, and hyper connectivity. Um, now, we've got a comment in the chat, which is from Ravindra, which says that there needs to be a longer term vision for 
digitalizing, transforming the organization. But the smaller steps will help to get to that vision. Now, do, do you agree with that position? I, I, I guess it makes sense. Um, and um, how do you see the role of data-driven intelligence in fulfilling that kind of vision? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that vision. And that goes back to, to the point that, they, that we were making earlier in terms of thinking about that a strategic way of generating value for your business and for your business it, it encompasses everything related to uh, to what I say at the core and beyond the core of your business uh, but how to get to that end goal it needs to be a true route and that route needs to be defined by those smaller steps that you should take uh, along the route and along the route is is to to achieve that vision but with that vision also in, including the uh, the technical considerations that you need to think about. So that takes me back to the previous point again uh, about uh, avoiding getting to the point where you end up halfway through with a number of different technologies that at the end of the day, they won't maximize on the value of integrating them uh, all together. Uh, in terms of uh, generating um, data-driven intelligence, that starts from those smaller steps so predictive maintenance is, 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 a, is a very immediate example for that. So you can do predictive maintenance on a single machine, for example, and then do that in three machines, 10 machines, 20 machines, and then moving into different use case uh, and plan for, for actually maximizing what you're getting out from that network of data applications and different assets within your business and within your supply chains. And those sorts of programs can therefore help to can be justified in their own right, but they create part of the vision yeah. to have a wider perspective of where you can go in the future. So that's uh, that's yeah. really a good route map, isn't it, Chris? I mean, you're you're also a data man, so um, so uh, perhaps you might want to comment on that, and then uh, I'll ask Jean Paul, and then we'll move back to Luke. Yeah, I think um, I think the small steps. It's uh, you know it's definitely a journey. Um, I think to try to. Um, embark on some of these digitalization projects as a um, as as one huge step. I suppose it's just going to be a step too far, um, and um, making those uh, those smaller steps or um, or implementing kind of uh, kind of elements of an overall of an overall program in those smaller steps um, is probably going to be a little bit more palatable. Um, I guess maybe on the flip side of that, the 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 challenge with that is the costs. Is is the is the initial entry cost then too high because you're breaking things into into steps where there's going to be a lot of repetitive work? Um, whereas if you did something on a much broader or a much larger scale, there'd be efficiency in the delivery of of some of those um, some of those projects. Um, and also as well, may, maybe the return, both maybe the financial return or also the the outcome in terms of what people were expecting, does it actually deliver um, kind of enough? Uh, you know enough, enough of that return if you go too small um so maybe there's a there's an offset then between between the cost and and the and and, and the outcome whereas if you went a little bit a little bit bigger went a little bit further with that initial implementation maybe you might get a, mu a much better return or a much a much greater uh, sort of beneficial outcome so i think it's I'm not sure there's one there's one simple answer really it probably again fit you know it has to fit the application and the organization mm -hmm. um, and the 
the and the challenge that's trying to be solved. Yeah, I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense as well, doesn't it? You've, you've got to you've got to look at each individual circumstance and decide from there. You know, Alejandra mentioned three um, D printing, for example. You know, that would be a great opportunity to introduce a new technology, start from um, you know the base of 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 seeing what it could do uh, by integrating into the whole um, the whole um, plant, but uh, at the same time um, being of beneficial use in its own right in terms of the data information you can get out of it to make it operate effectively and for predictive maintenance to to, to be available as well so yeah very interesting jean paul well i, I would follow uh, chris in, in in what uh, in what he said and uh, that's what i said in my own uh, presentation uh, don't, don't 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 start small start smart um mm. be specific in in what you want to do um automatically that will be a small step um but it will also be a very practical step um and, and if from that you can you you can measure you can show uh that that, that it brings something um then you will you will kick in the the the, the mechanics um, that will slowly overcome uh, the, the the showstoppers of uh, uh, what will be my return on investment. Well, if you know precisely what you want to do, if you want, if you know precisely what pain you want to fix, um, you have already one part of your uh, ROI um, that, that is that is clarified. Um, then it's about uh, what you will put in place, um, but. It's basically about keeping things under control, and and the only way to do that um, is, uh, uh, yeah, as I said, being specific in in how you start, which implies uh, a smaller step. Of course, as I see in the um, in the in the discussion in the chat, um, there need to be a longer term vision. Yes, and, and, and the small step will indeed uh, help you to clarify that vision because it might not be accurate from from the first step. You you will have a view, and then you will adjust as you uh, as you proceed. Thank you. Yes, that's very good. Um, while you've been talking, we've been concluding a poll of the people on the call this morning, um, and it is where are you in your digital transformation journey? Um, and uh, we have 32% are at the start. 42% um, describe themselves as midway, which I, I guess is probably where <laughs> I've put myself. Um, only 10% advanced, um, which perhaps is to be expected, and 23% not sure where to start. So, so you know, the the early onset people represent you know more than half. And only ten percent see themselves in a, in an advanced position. Um, first question is: Does it surprise you? Um, and you know, how do you get to be an advanced user? Is it company size dependent? What's holding people back? Would you say? Let's quickly run Jean Paul, Chris, Alejandra, and then Luke. Well. Um, it it's interesting to see that a lot of uh, uh, a lot of people are already engaged in that journey. Um, now, what I would be interested in is to know uh, how they feel about what was said uh, today. 
Um, what is their uh, feedback on the recipes that were proposed here? Um, uh, is it true that you need to sm start uh, small or, or, or smart? Um, is it true that uh, um, you, you will change your, your, your vision on, on the way to, to, to digitalization? Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, it, it, it's my experience, but uh, um, I, I would be interested to hear about the experience of, uh, of the others who are uh, engaged in that, in that process. Yes, and that's a very good point. Well, here's the opportunity. Um, we're, we're very keen to get comments and, and responses um, either now or if you want to talk to us afterwards, we can facilitate that as well. But yes, let's let's find out the thinking behind the poll. That would that would be very helpful for everyone, I think. Chris. Yeah, I don't think I'm I don't think I'm surprised that maybe around half or maybe only at the beginning of that journey. I think um, um, I think like John Paul alluded to, it would be interesting to poll those that are much more advanced, if you like, and um, find out if they were repeating the exercise again through the journey they've already been through, whether they would do things differently, whether they would have a different approach or what, um, what's, been, what's been a success and what things have been a challenge along, along that journey. The, um, I suppose the resolve, if you like, to continue and they've obviously taken things to to a certain stage where they feel that they're um, in an advanced state. So, um, how has that experience been, and what would they say to those that are just embarking on that on that journey? I guess if they were um, starting again. Yes, um, and of course we can, uh, as as Andy Wiley, who's in the background here, has just reminded me, we can use our LinkedIn profile to keep the discussion going. And we will uh, make sure that our speakers and our audience are engaged um, so that um, that's a possibility. Um, and um, in the chat, we have the uh, the address of that. So we'll we'll facilitate that after the meeting. Alejandra, you will have seen a, a wide spectrum of organizations. So um, do, do the poll results reflect what you see? I shall say yes. Uh, and I, I should add to that is exactly the point in, in terms of the diversity that we see uh, from them to see, and that uh, that comes not only uh, across sectors but also based on on scale of the of the manufacturing businesses. So it's very different talking about SMEs uh, than talking about large manufacturers where they even have their own in-house innovation and research capabilities to actually go about. Uh, the development of, uh, of their in-house digital strategies and, and uh, take the journey by themselves, supported by the, the wider ecosystem, but uh, leading by themselves uh, what, uh, what they're about to, to do, not only from the technology perspective, but uh, from that uh, business strategy perspective that we have been talking about. On the SME side, uh, as, we, as we see also in the, in the large manufacturing side, there is always that leader, uh, that actually takes chances and uh, uh, goes for uh, Innovate UK biddings or comes to us uh, uh, with a small capacity for investment, but seeking to that uh, SME support that, they, that we tend to have within the catapult uh, environments. Uh, and there is always that, that type of companies that will wait and see what happens and, and, and see those, uh, expect those evidences actually to come from 
from those leaders in, in the domain. So we, we do see that diversity and the numbers are, are not really uh, any surprising. Thank you, yes. Right, Luke, well, you can comment on that and then we'll, we'll go into your um, small step energy monitoring system, or maybe it's not that small really, but given the price of energy these days. So, uh, <laughs> so over yeah. to you. Yeah, so there's some uh, really brilliant points that Jean-Paul said, start small but smart and think practically. Um, well, how do you do that? Well, the key thing is often, where's the pain? What pain are you experiencing as a customer? Well, I think we're all experiencing the pain of energy costs. Um, over the last two years, uh, we've all seen prices rise to a crazy degree because of two reasons. Obviously, there's the bounce back after COVID where demand has gone through the roof. And then on the supply side, there's the war in the Ukraine, which is reducing our availability of energy. Uh, and in Europe in particular, we've seen prices spike massively. Uh, and so the, the timing of this may be, may be quite nice. So that, where's the pain? The pain is in the energy costs. Uh, how do we address that? Well, the, the nice thing about um, energy consumption is that typically energy consumption is standardized. We all have distribution boxes in our factory. Those factories all have breaker circuits in them. They then distribute the energy to the machines within the factory. And so if you want to start small uh, somewhere, which is a pain point, you can address it in a standardized logical way because what you have in your factory is going to be very similar to what everyone else has in their factory. And so uh, what, what I'm hoping to show you today very quickly is this energy uh, monitoring kit. And the price point is very low. So a kit such as this will be around a thousand pounds. And there's no licensing. All the software on these products is open source. Uh, the data can be shared from where it is here to your, your own system if you wish. Uh, and so um, what we're trying to do here is give the customer a way to get their foot in the door to start their journey. Yes, I, I totally agree with uh, Alexandra when she said you need a long-term vision. And the, the long-term vision isn't just about we're suffering because of the cost of our energy. It's also about sustainability. It's also about the climate. It's also about net zero. Um, at your customers, our customers particularly, are demanding from us as a supplier, what is our policy towards sustainability? What is our carbon footprint of the products we deliver? And these kind of requests are becoming more frequent as um, customers become more savvy and they demand more, basically. And we want to be able to supply them more. And so the, there's a dual benefit here. The first benefit is I'm uh, influencing my bottom line. What's my cost? And then the second benefit is I can tell my customer uh, how I'm reducing my impact on the environment. And so we, we think uh, energy monitoring, if you haven't started your journey or if you're some way towards the start of the journey, is a really good system to involve in the whole process. Uh, the nice thing about a system like this is it, it can live separately initially. You don't have to integrate it with anything if you don't wish to. So very, very quickly, um, what I've got here is brain boxes. We're a manufacturer of industrial communication devices like this one. These are devices that connect to machinery, to sensors, to actuators, to data, and then process it in some way and send it out somewhere. Uh, and like Jean-Paul said what, 20 years ago, he was... Uh, converting cereal towards ethernet. Well, brain boxes, we still, we still do that. We've been um, manufacturing cereal devices for 38 years. Um, 
there's, there's a huge number of machines still out there full of serial connectivity. This particular example, I've got one of Brainbox's devices, which is an edge controller, and we've got three submeters. Now, each submeter is monitoring the energy consumption of each of these plugs. One plug is connected to this fridge. One plug is connected to this live lamp, and one plug is connected to this demo. And we've got open source data collection on here, and we've got an open source dashboard. And in fact, we've got an FAQ on our website, which shows you exactly how to do this for yourself. And it will present data such as this. Now, before I go into the data, something that's very, really interesting is I wasn't sure which of these three things would consume the most energy. I, I actually thought it'd be the fridge. But actually, the fridge is the least energy intensive thing out of these three devices. The, the lava lamp is the most energy intensive thing. And so in the last 24 hours, the lava lamp has cost me 25p, whereas the fridge has only cost me 11p to run. Um, and, you know, we've, we've all got ideas about what the data means, but until you actually see it, then um, you can't really action it properly. And so... Here, here's some idea of what kind of data you can see. You can see carbon footprint, you can see cost, you can see power consumption, you can see instantaneous power consumption, and you can see a trend over time. And okay, these are three simple um, items here, but the principles are exactly the same in your workshop downstairs. So we have a system just like this downstairs in our factory. Um, and you don't need clever, fancy data metrics to start. Yeah, action in what you're seeing. So one of the things we saw was that our oven, which is 20 years old, we didn't want to replace the oven, it still works, why replace it, um, was really energy inefficient. And we knew that, but we didn't know to what degree. And so once you start monitoring the energy consumption, it's really clear what the return on investment is of buying a new oven. So for a very small outlay, it became clear to me my, my initial biggest energy saving could be buying a new oven and the return on investment of that oven would be about two and a half, three years. Like I said, anecdotally, we all knew that, but until we saw the numbers, um, we didn't want to commit to a decision and then the decision became a no-brainer. Um, secondly, we one of our customers uh, is a CNC factory. They have compressors. The compressors are used to power the machines, provide air. They have a primary and a backup. And so when the primary fails, it runs off the backup. Now, what they didn't realize was the primary had failed weeks ago and they were already running off the backup. And then the backup failed and they had nothing. So just monitoring power consumption can give you information about what the machine is actually doing without actually putting sensors on the machine directly. So it's, for example, we have modern machines downstairs and I would break my warranty if I retrofit sensors to some of these modern machines. But you can uh, uninvasively monitor your machines by looking at the energy signature. So to, to give you an example of energy signature, um, here is some really simple data about when each of those three machines behind me used a piece, a, a watt hour of energy. And you can see the patterns of consumption are slightly different. The fridge actually groups together its usage into little chunks, and then it kind of goes into an idle mode before it does the same thing again. And you'll notice that with different kinds of machines, these patterns will tell you what the machine's doing. And with really simple, you can eyeball it initially, but with really simple information, you, you can kind of figure out, okay, how much of the data machine up, my machine up for? How many units am I producing? What's the cost per unit produced? Uh, so it will it will lead you on this journey, and like we, like uh, Alexander said, um, a long term vision is essential. But as you make a small step, you kind of move across this uh, hill hilltop, 
And then you can see a little bit further than you could see before, and you can modify your long-term vision as well. So uh, th this is what we think of as a really good small step to, to help you get on that journey and start planning how, how you get to where you want to go. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I suppose the, the obvious question is when you move from an isolated measurement to integrating the data, what, what's involved with that? And uh, it ties in quite nicely with the question that's literally just come in from Helen, which is sticking with the theme of starting small. How easy or cost effective would it be to roll out energy monitoring across a vast site? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. So, like I said, the, uh, distribution boxes in factories are relatively standard. Uh, these energy submeters are relatively standard. To add more submeters, so this particular unit you can connect eight to. If you want to add more, we've got other lower cost units that just uh, capture the data and then send it onto this aggregator. Uh, so the incremental cost of expanding the system is actually lower than the initial cost. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's expandable. The, the data is open source. And so you already have existing other systems. Um, uh, Chris was talking about all these different layers and how IIoT could be considered as another layer. Uh, and IIoT is often not one thing either it's often multiple individual things and so one of the keys to iot is how do you get the data out of one of those systems and into the next and so uh, we're really keen on having open data and being able to easily access things in a secure fashion um, and we're a hardware manufacturer here um, and so we we see these as tools to help us sell the hardware because you know you know with the this will get you on the journey. It'll get you 80% of the way there. And then you need to speak to a specialist, a system integrator who can help you kind of move that forward unless you discover you've got that expertise in-house. Thank you for listening to Talking Industry. Stay tuned across all podcast apps. Follow us on social, subscribe to our newsletters, and keep up to date at talkingindustry.org.